Party people in the place to be. You're now with the MC, S-E-R-C-H, in the place with style and grace, listening to, checking out the Sugar Hill Gang podcast. Get it right! What's up, what's up, what's up, world? How y'all doing? This is the Sugar Hill Gang Podcast, and I am your host, the Master G, the M-A-S, the T-E-R, the G with a double E, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts and my brothers, T-Dynasty and Hendog. T-Dynasty, tell us what the show is all about. Peace and blessings to the extended family. Uh, oh, man, we're here once again, once again, to celebrate and explore music, art, culture, you know, as being the foundations of this thing we call hip hop, we like to reach out to, speak to, you know, get to know our brothers and sisters in the industry. You know what I'm saying? Get those stories, you know, even the ones that we've heard of, you know, but especially the ones that we ain't never heard of, you know what I'm saying? You know, it's going to be a good old time, so let's get it. Oh, hey, dog, tell us who we have on the show today. No <laughs> doubt, no doubt, yo. I'm, I'm, world. We we got a we got a special treat for everybody today, and especially for all you women out there that's celebrating. You know, Women's Month. You know what I mean. You know, so so it's big. It's on and popping today. We got a special brother from Far Walkaway, Queens, and I'm telling you, I can't wait to hear this brother's story. We got the one and only MC Search. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Now, and the only reason it's for the ladies is my ugliness makes your man look sexier. That's exactly what it is. Thank you, gentlemen. Serge, so what's much. up, man? Serge, such, what's it's up, such man? a pleasure. It's such a pleasure to be in your presence, gentlemen. And thank you for having me. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your world for a good, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, man, because you've been a part of my world for 45 years. Bless you, man. Bless you, bless you. So, oh, man, listen, man. Uh, uh, I've been watching this thing from, you know, I call it all the dimensions, you know what I mean? And, and, and one of the dimensions, man, was to see your your rise, man, you know, with the third base situation and then all the mm -hmm. other things that you've done, mm -hmm. man, the, the, the television and the radio. And I mean, yo, man, you have really, you know, maximized your uh, power for you know, this market in this area that we've done, man. I mean, and then, you know, as an artist, you know, I've been excited about that. So you know, just, just give it, give, give, give those that don't know. I mean, because there's not many people that don't know, you, but just kind of just, if I'm a person, I'm just coming on the show and I see you and say, okay, I know that guy. Give us that, man. Give us that little intel. Well, I mean, I, I come from a place, you know, very similar to you guys where there was no such thing as uh, this culture that we are now, so blessed to have afforded a life and uh, for not our only selves, our children. Um, yes. You know, I come from the time when there was no rap being played on radio, as you guys know, it was cassette tapes and third and fourth generation, you know, cassette tapes of Crash Crew and Funky Four Plus One More and wow. the Kango wow. Crew and Mixmaster yeah. DST and Coca La Rock and DJ Holiday and, you know, just hearing all this and, you know, the elements were guys, you know, putting their names on walls and dancing on floors and rocking park jams and two turntables. And, you know, there was no name, there was no ecosystem, there was no business. Uh, 
And, uh, you know, I was that white kid who um, just grew up in Far Rockaway. So I was surrounded by, you know, young men and women who went from listening to, you know, Parliament Funkadelic, Ohio Players, you know, Talking Heads, The Cure, you know, The Smiths to, you know, listening to, you know, brothers like yourselves in the basement tapes that we were getting from the park jams that we were all part of. And um, I remember my personal favorite crew when I was growing up was a crew out of Brooklyn called the Kango Crew. I used to okay. love all of their park jam, you know, Hillbilly Girl, you know, Indian Girl, you know, they had this other little skit they did called Lottie Dottie and, you know, all of this stuff. And I went to uh, music and art high school uh, from mm -hmm. Far Rockaway. I went to music and art on 135th and Convent, uh, two hour, 22 minute ride on the train. And my first yeah. day in the basement, uh, while I'm in there for freshman orientation, uh, there's these kids doing Hillbilly Girl. And I get on a lunch table and I'm looking and it's these four dudes and they're doing Hillbilly Girl. And the guy next to me, Stephen Bosco, who was a homie, I said, yo, they're doing the Kango Crew team. And he said, motherfucker, that is the Kango Crew. <laughs> and it was the first time in my life I was legitimately starstruck, you know, because I'm listening to fourth and fifth generation basement tapes of, you know, right. these skits. And now they're right in front of me. Uh, Ricky D and Dana Dane and Lance Romance and Omega and, you know, the original Kango crew from, you know, Fort Green Projects. And, yeah, uh, and, yeah and uh, Jay Cool from the Fresh Stream Seas, who wasn't part of the Fresh Stream Seas. It was, you know, him, his brother, Jay Bourne and Born Unique. And they were doing, you know, this skit in school. F-R-E-S-H. That was that that was their little, you know, routine that they did in the yeah. lunchroom. Yeah. And uh, you know, some around all these dudes and you know, 84, 85. Now all of a sudden my friends are making records, you know. So um I had a uh um I had an opportunity to go to school for free. I had an opportunity to go to college, four year um opportunity to get a scholarship to the St. Louis School of Music at George Washington University. Sure. Um, and I'm a kid from Queens, like, you know, as much as it's great, and you know, I mean, plus Jewish kid from Queens, like my, you know, <laughs> tell my mother I just got a free ticket to college, you might as well just tell her I just became the president of the United States. <laughs> um, Jewish mom is crazy excited, you know, and yeah. it, you know, so I'm supposed to sign my paper on Monday at uh, my at the dean's office. And Friday, Shabbos dinner, I'm sitting there and I said, you know, I'm not gonna go to school. She said, what are you talking about? You're not going to school? I said, yeah, no, nah, I'm not going to school. I'm gonna be a rapper. And I'll never wow. forget, she said, she said, what do you mean? You're gonna rap gifts at two guys? What do you mean? Be a <laughs> two guys. guys, oh my God. Two guys. Rap gifts at Sears? Like what was this Vashnished rapper? Like, what is that? I said, you know, it's, you know, there's this thing, rap music, and you know, I'm gonna be part of the, and she goes, so what's your plan? And I said, I just told you my plan. I'm gonna be a rapper. <laughs> she said, listen, she said, Michael, listen, schmuck, if you're gonna give up four years of school, you better have a plan. So I went into my basement, and I started writing what well, my plan is. Okay, so I gotta make songs, and I gotta find a producer, and I gotta make a manager. So I, I wrote like three and a half pages of this plan. 
And I purposely gave myself three and a half years to map this master plan out because that's, you know, three and a half years. It's the same time I'd be in college, you know, so I'm not stupid. I want a place to stay. Right. So I had to catch the 6.02 a.m. train from Far Rockaway, Mata Avenue to get to school on time. Two hours and 22 minutes. I wake up 4.30 in the morning and my mom's waiting at the table, cup of coffee. She reads through the thing. She says, okay, I'll tell you what, I'm going to support you. You don't want to go to college, it's fine. She goes, but after three and a half years, if you don't have a record deal, two things are going to happen. She goes, no, really three things. One, you're going to get a job and you're going to get out of my house. Or you're going to go back to school and you're going to get out of my house. But either way, you're going to get out of my house. And she said, but I'll, I'll support you and, you know, I'll help you. And, but you got to keep a job and keep gas in your car and keep money for car insurance. But you got to. Right. And running the streets became a living. Like literally hustling the block became a living because 1984, 1985, you're, you know, you, yeah. you know, Fearless Four, Problems of the World Today, Tila yeah. Rock, you know, yeah. Run DMP, Houdini, yeah. you know, Mr. Yeah. Magic. I mean, you know, 85 is the real start of what we all know to be yes. the yes. incredible rise yes. of this rap music. Right? The surge. I call but, um, it the surge. I right. call it the so surge. I, it, no search, search. <laughs> I know, I know your search. Oh, oh, oh okay. I know. Oh, oh you meant I the search. The search. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, so you know, my drive was from that point on that I was going to treat my house like a hotel. Like I was literally mm -hmm. going to be there to shit, shower, and shave, mm -hmm. and that I was going to run the block twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week, to get what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And at the time, the other big record was the Bad Boys, Inspector Gadget. Mm -hmm. Kids from Brownsville, Brooklyn, and Bed-Stuy. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Huge record. Shout so out to um, I get a, a chance meeting with uh, Profile Records, right? Biggest label at the time, you know, Pumpkin Ooh. and the All-Stars, Fresh 3 MCs, Run DMC, you know, uh, Twin Hype, like all the groups that were signed to, you know, that label at the time. Yes. I have a chance meeting and they said, uh, okay, interesting, white rapper, never seen before. This could be a gimmick. Send us a demo. And I left that meeting in 1985 saying, I just got signed. That's it. <laughs> I'm a superstar. I just got signed. I'm done. I'm done. Unbelievable. Three and a half year plan. I'm done in five minutes. Meeting done. I get on the train, I get on, uh, I spent the extra money, not the A train, I, Long Island Railroad, because, you know, I just Ooh. made it. I, I spent the, I spent, yeah, $2.35 yeah. instead right. of the 65 to 235 because I'm balling! <laughs> All of that, right? We're in the mind. So I get on the train, and as soon as I get on the train, there's these young girls that I, females that I knew from Valley Stream, Long Island. And they're like, yo, what are you doing? And, you know, swag is on 1,000, ego's on 10,000. I'm like, oh, I just signed a record deal. Just had a meeting, but now all of a sudden I've signed a record deal. If they would have kept talking to me in 10 minutes, my pocket would have been filled with the advance. Like, it just, the, the lies would have increased. They just would have just, it, it would have just kept going. And uh, so I sit down and I said, yeah, I'm a rapper now. Name is MC Search. And they're like, oh, really? You can rap? Rap. All right, cool. 
is I start rapping about the train and the conductor and the Long Island Railroad's always late. And the guy who's coming to take the ticket, he's clicking the ticket while I'm rhyming about him. And all of a sudden there's a crowd getting gathering around me, you know, and I'm, and I'm rhyming just the, from Penn Station to Valley Stream, I rhyme nonstop, 35 minutes straight. <laughs> off the head, bam, 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 bam. Wow. Soon as the girls get off, I got numbers. I'm, I'm golden, right? All of a sudden, this gorgeous, gorgeous Dominican girl walks up on me named Lourdes. And she says, you know, hi, I'm Lourdes. Uh, my boyfriend is Grand Wizard Tony D from the Bad Boys. Um, I, uh, I'd like to introduce you to him. I think, you know, he, he could help you. And I'm like, Ma, you could do whatever you want to me. <laughs> whatever you say, I'm, I'm with you, right? She said, uh, she said, but I'm gonna introduce you to Tony D, but you know, I'm gonna manage you. And I'm like, you can do whatever you want. And she gives me his card and she scratches out his number, but there is his name and I, you know, his record label or whatever and his address. So as soon as I get home, I'm like, I'm just gonna call 411 and I'm gonna get his, he's Seagate, Seagate Avenue, Coney Island, Brooklyn, Tony Dick. Name's right there, done. Right. I start calling Tony D. I'm like, hey, he's hello? Grand Wizard Tony D? Yeah. Hey, I'm MC Search. I met your girlfriend, you know, Lourdes. I, uh, I, wanna, I wanna rap for you. Oh, we're going on tour. Bad boys, we're going on tour in London. We'll be back in two weeks. I was like, all right. So I'd start marking off the calendars, days, two weeks later. Hey, Tony, how was, how was London? Oh, it was great, but we're going to Toronto. I know later he was lying. He's just trying to pass me off. But I kept counting off the days. You know, okay, two weeks. I'll be back in two weeks. And you know, me, do you need a ride to the airport? Do you, you know, like I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to be what I trying to get on. Right. Right. So um six months of this, six months, every day. Can I come around for you? Can I come around for you? Finally, middle of April, six months in. I call him. It's pouring rain. I'm like. I'm just gonna give this a show. I'm stuck in the house. I got nothing better to do. Tony D, hey, it's Search. He's like, come on over. Just come over. It's enough. Just come over. <laughs> awesome. Get in the car, pouring rain. I go from Far Rockaway over the Bell Parkway, go to Coney Island, go to Seagate, end of the end of Seagate. House is, you know, beautiful, brownstone. It's got a Jaguar sitting on Dayton's. He's got a, a 98 Oldsmobile sitting on something. He got an Eldorado sitting on something. His car's all around the car. I'm like, wow, right? And I'm with one of my homeboys. And I said, yo, come on in. He was like, <laughs> I was like, word, you're not going to come in with me? He's like, nope. I was like, all right, you stay in here. Knock on the door. He opens the door. Yeah. I said, hey, MMC search. He was like, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I know I'm a white guy, I know, right? <coughs> so it was one of these, you know, townhouses that had like a long, narrow hallway that opened up into a living room. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Opens up into the living room and to the right on the sofa is Lord Taru from the Eternal Force, which was this great group from Brooklyn. Okay. Grandmaster D from Houdini. Wow. And sitting there, trunk jewelryed up is Jam Master J. Wow. And Tony D says, come in the basement. And they all start coming with me in the basement. And I'll never forget this. I'm going into this dingy, like rickety staircase. 
And I'm like, oh my God, three of the greatest DJs in the world are about to jump me. This is so fucking dope. I'm about to be robbed, but this is the greatest story I'm gonna tell. I'm, this is the story I tell my kids that I'm about to get robbed by Jam Master J Grant, you know, cause I'm going into a dark basement, no lights. These, I don't know these do, you know, you might as well have asked me to go to the dumpsters around the corner. Like I'm thinking the same thing. Right. Go in, turns on this light. It's a little light bulb and there's a makeshift studio. Booth, Kai, equipment, board, sits me down. They sit in chairs, kind of like the way, you know, we're all sitting. And I sit down and Tony D says, rap. And I went, so you think you rock well, got a snowball chance of hell to catch an MC search cause I will ring your bell. And soon you will tell that my record's gonna sell cause when I'm finished rapping home, boys are gonna yell. You will be so excited that my fire's been ignited and then all the party people have now been cited. So if you're in my sight, keep rocking all night and let the power of the party go for and bite. My name is MC search and I'm here to say that I rock a funky beat and I rock it this two minutes straight, just nonstop. And of course you gotta end it with ah. <laughs> <laughs> right? right. <laughs> straight just spit flying attitude ripping it and there's dead silence and jam master j leans back and he goes if white boys start rhyming like this we're finished yo i need you to come with me on tour yo you got to open for me in rochester with davy d and, and grandmaster d's like no 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 I need you to write for Houdini. We're writing a new record. I need you to write. And and Turu from the Eternal Force is like, you fucking devil, fucking devil, 85er. Like, you know, and just, and Tony D's like, no, 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 he came here to see me. That's my artist. Da, 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 da. He's, I'm going to sign him right now. And I'm like, you're going to sign me right now? I signed a contract right then and there, 18 years old, gave him power of attorney, gave him all my publishing, all my royalty, right. power right. signature, just right. signed whatever he gave me, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's how I got put on. That's wow. crazy. That's how, crazy. How, long, how long was the contract? Uh, the contract was for three years. Oh, wow! So during that time, I put out two independent records, put out a solo record with Adam Levy on uh, Warlock Records called Melissa, okay. which was straight frisbee, straight frisbee. <laughs> Um, okay. <laughs> people bought it to throw it on the beach and have a good time. Wow. I had a DJ. Let me tell you something. This was such a bad record that I had a, a really powerful DJ in New York that we had to pay to play the record. Yeah. And when we paid it, when we paid him, he looked at me and he said, you know, the only reason I'm playing this piece of shit is because you paid me. And I said, wow. thank you. And I <laughs> stuck my hand out. I said, thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> and he looked at me. He's like, Okay. Like you, but I was like, hey, you're gonna right. play it because I you know, thank you. What am I gonna say? Right. Thank you. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Um, it's so funny because when I see him to this day, you know, I to this day, like he I I'm like, you know, right? He's like, <laughs> you know, I know, you know. Anyway, so, so um, so uh so yeah, so I put out two records independently, and um my mom supported me and you know, all of that, and then um I got a call in 1988 to battle at the World Supremacy. Oh, okay. And, um, and that's where I made a name for myself because uh, I was always a battle MC. One of the things that 
my friends from Red Fern Projects would do all the time to, you know, because that's how I like got my chops. Is that right. where I lived in Far Rockaway was like three blocks away from Red Fern. So all my right. friends. Right. Any, any, so any, any, any brothers and sisters or, you know, uh, how, how did your dad feel about you being an MC? So, yeah. So, my, you know, my, like I said, my mom and dad were always really supportive. You know, my mom and dad were, you know, really, really just very, very supportive. You know, my mother had a very open, liberal Jewish policy. Like, you know, I, I tell people all the time, like my mom was the president of the American Jewish Congress and worked with Martin Luther King to raise money for the buses to come oh. from the North to go to Selma. She worked wow, with, man. you know, with people, you know, so we had people of all types coming through my house all the time. Um, right. She regularly met with Bill Abzug in my house to meet about like diversity in Queens and Queens County. They called really? her the one, yeah, she was called the one woman war against crack in Far Rockaway, setting up community patrols during the Reagan wow. era. Like, you know what I mean? So like my mom was like always, you know, like I'd bring home girls named Mahogany and Ebony and she'd be like, so nice to meet you, sit down, <coughs> have, you know, it didn't right. matter. The thing that was really funny is when I met my wife, who's um, African-American, Puerto Rican, and we were walking through the neighborhood and we were introducing her to people, the neighbors would all lean in and go, is she Jewish? Like, it didn't even matter. Like, it didn't, you know, none of right. yeah. not a black question. Is she Jewish? Like, that's all they cared about. You know, it's right. like, it's ultimately, right. it didn't matter. So, you know, they were, they were very cool about everything. Uh, they were very cool. As long as I was working hard, as long as I wasn't like, you know, being passive. Like they right. wanted me yeah. out there going to get it. Cause she would really remind have. me on, yeah, she was really remind me on a regular basis. Like, you know, just remember you gave up college for this. So, so when I, um, in 88, when I battled for the world, the battle for world supremacy and I started crushing people, it was all based on the fact that before that I was making a name for myself in the five boroughs because I had two homeboys, my man math and my man understanding. And they were doing their little, you know, traveling through, you know, outside of Queens to Brooklyn and other areas. And, you know, they would, you know, move in their little bags or whatever, and they would meet the other rappers in, you know, the neighborhood. And I was just known as being an MC that could rhyme off the top of my head. Because for right. me, my whole thing was, you know, I knew I'd get tested. So I wanted to be one step ahead of my competition at all times. Mm -hmm. While everybody wrote, had written battle rhymes, I wanted to be versatile, more versatile. So I wanted mm -hmm. to, you know, rhyme off the head. So um, I felt that was my edge. So my friends would set up these battles for us at like Vandermeer Projects and, you know, LG and like all, all through the city. Mm -hmm. And they would, you know, while they were doing their little dirt and they would tell me, you know, hey, we got a battle for you in like Vandermeer. We got a battle for you, you know, on Lafayette and blah, blah, blah. Uh, cool, you know. And you know, whatever the money was, the money was. So they would purposely set up the battles right outside the train stop. So, you mm -hmm. know, you take the A train, uh, you know. Right, Kingston everywhere. Troop. You come up <laughs> yeah. Kingston Troop, you know, you're right there in the hood. But they would purposely set up the battle right there. And because there was no phones, no beepers or nothing, it was always set up on the train times. If the train mm. left at, you know, five, whatever, if I had to be at Kingston Troop at six, whatever, you know, we had to time everything. It was. But everything was perfectly timed, and I'll explain why. So they set up a battle, and they'd you know be like twenty five, fifty dollars, whatever a man or whatever you know. And they'd have their crew, and the rock my my people would be there, whatever. Mm -hmm. 
And as soon as these dudes saw MC Search was a white guy, the numbers quadrupled. Of course. You know, <laughs> of course, right? right? And I'll never forget one time we were at Vandermeer Project and um, I had already kind of, kind of slayed a bunch of dudes. And for some reason it was still kind of below the radar um, that, you know, there's this guy MC Search battling everybody and slaying them. So I was on my way to the Latin Quarter one night and they called me, they're like, yo, come battle at Vandermeer. You know, my man, Grandmaster Reggie Reg and the Players Club, they're DJing in the park at Vandermeer Park that night, but come battle, we, there's some money on the table. And it was like, it's cool. It's like, you know, get off near Vandermeer on, on the A train, pop right back on, get on 42nd Street, it's bang bang, right? Right. I'll never, so I get off the train. As soon as I get off the train, as soon as these dudes see me, and it's a Puerto Rican dude I'm battling, as soon as they see me, the numbers, oh, it's a devil <laughs> 700. Like the numbers were crazy. The, mo the money was crazy. And I, I'm just standing there. And home turf, dude rhymes first. And he rhymes his battle rhymes. And they're all pre-written. And, you know, first of all, he ain't got nothing for me because I'm a white dude. So it's not like he's prepped for battling a white guy. So everything right. he's saying has no context to me, but right, he's right. saying his little battle rhymes and they're witty and his crew is making little comments. You know how, oh, 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 right. oh, yeah, oh. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. So now it's my turn and the guy starts beatboxing. I'm like, no, 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 I'll do this acapella. Right, So because I want everybody's attention. I don't want no beat, I need you to hear me. And I start breaking this dude down head to toe from the top of his tango to the bottom of his shell toes, to his glasses being crooked, to the crooked shit on his nose, to the way he fucking smells like his mother's old clothes, to the way that, and I'm just breaking him down, breaking him. And you can just hear people going, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and this dude, this Puerto Rican dude is getting tight, tight. <laughs> Second round, he goes, you know, and he's, beatboxing, beats going, he's ah. So what I typically would do in the second round is I would then pick apart your verse. Yeah. I would say, oh, that was kind of witty how you said the thing about the city, but what you left out was blah, 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 and oh! And I said, yo, I say, and, and he was about to take out a pack of Newports to smoke a cigarette. And I said, you could go back to your mom with those Newports and tell her that I smoked you. And before you say anything else, shh, cállate la boca. Oh! <laughs> I was, it was over. It was over. It was, it was over then. So my man is yeah. getting all the money, my man math, and this dude is like this. He giving you the screw face. No, right now. no, screw face. Right. He so it's already no, it's all, yo, and there's, and there's, Girls like, oh, you coming back? I'm like, yeah, baby, I'm coming back. You know, I'm gonna go to Land Corner and I'm gonna come back. Oh, he's giving you So <laughs> my man, Grandmaster Reggie Reg, was DJing that night. So I went to the quarters, hung out, danced, blah 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 blah. Come back. I'm gonna help them break down. It's like four o'clock in the morning. Help them break down and get everybody back to Far Rockaway and Long Beach. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm, I got this giant crown amp. You remember the crown amps? The mm -hmm. ones that, that were the size Big of a joints. subway train? Yeah. 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 Size yeah. Of a subway train. Yeah. 700 pounds size, you know, and I'm like, I got it like this. I'm carrying it by myself. And I'm talking to my man, Reg, and I hear a pop. So I hear a pop and the thing just cracks in my hand. 
And uh, he's like, yo, what you do to my amp, homie? And I'm like, and I look over and the dude that I battled is cocking back the 25 for a second shot. Wow. So, spot for dip. Ping! <laughs> Drop the amp, fires the second shot. I don't know where the second shot went. Boogie onto the train. And that was the last time I battled in, in the project. That was, I was done. So, you know, fast forward three years, I'm still battling dudes and, you know, whatever. And my man, Dave Klein, may he rest in peace, says, hey, I want you to battle at World Supremacy, battle at World Supremacy, New Music Seminar. I'm okay. like, all right, cool. So, you know, I'm a battle MC anyway. I get on stage, I start picking people apart, you know, doing what I do. I make it to the second round, which is at the Hammerstein Ballroom. Yes. <laughs> So the judges that night were um, Dr. Ice from UTFO. Oh. Red, Red Alert. Ice? Yep. Oh. Red Alert. Um, it was Mr. Magic. And Mr. Wow. Magic had, he had yeah, MC Glamorous so. with him. And he had MC Glamorous with him and, you know, his, yeah. his crew around him. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I'm about, and I'm tearing people up left and right. I'm, I, I just, I just destroyed Raven T from the Mighty Dismasters. I just destroy, I'm just destroying people, destroying people. Okay. And I'm about to battle this dude, MC Bango from Rhyme Syndicate. And this is like, this is about to be as a no brainer as it can be. This is a dude who's from Cleveland, who got oh. the New York skyline cut in the back of his head because he went to Astor oh Place being fly. <laughs> right, Master G, you know where this is going, right? I'm like, dude, yes. you got New York in the back of your head, but you're from Cleveland. JFK got a five o'clock flight. When you leaving? Like, I mean, it's, I'm already like- You don't have a chance. You don't have a dude, chance. it's 88. I still remember that line that I'm going to bake him with. I'm going to Betty Crocker his ass with that line. Like, I'm do it's done. Right? Mr. Magic comes behind me and he's trying to grab my mic. And I'm like, yo, I'm not, what am, why do I got to give you my mic? There's a mic on stage. Right. And you know, you know magic. Don't you know who I am? I'm Mr. Yes. Magic. Oh, I'm like, God, yes. And I turned oh, to yes. him and I said, I know who you are. And I'm telling you, Mr. Magic, there's a mic on stage. I'm about to go on stage. Right. So they call me on stage. He dumps a, bo a bottle of a cup of water on my back. Magic? So yeah. So I'm like, wow. oh, okay. Fuck this bango dude. I'm about to go ham on magic. I, it's, wow. It is on. So I I just got on. I was like, yo, fuck Mr. Magic. His name is Mr. Tragic. Yo, right? I said, yo, his whole shit is a fable. He takes money and blow under tables to play hip hop records that he should play in the first place. I'd rather listen to Kiss FM and fucking Red Alert. Da 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 da, right? And I said, Dr. Ice came yeah. back from rehab. Yo, and I'm glad you off that crack cocaine. You must have gave it to Glamorous. You got shit up in the brain. BLS is more like BL Fest, because they fest on records. The whole shit is a mess. The whole crowd, oh, oh, right? right? <laughs> and I'm just going ham. And I'm like, Ooh. yo, if Magic ever steps to me again, I'll fucking smash him with his own fucking BLS FM. Yo, da, 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 da. And then I ended it with, I said, I said, put some, I said, some, 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 I said, I'd rather listen to four hours of Red Alert saying, yay. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> you killed it. That was it. It was over. That was it right I, there. I get off stage. 
and Russell Simmons is there. And Russell, and I knew Russell from the clubs and seeing Russell. Right. Right. And he starts massaging my shoulders and he says, if anyone asks you, tell him you signed a Def Jam. Yeah. Wow. And that's right. how third base and that's how Damn third base right. got there. That's, that's how, that's how third base got there. You, 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 you got one of those lies that you always get me. Bruh, I gotta hit you with it. The hit, man. I gotta talk. Come on, man. Talk you about the rappers tonight? No, nah, I'm talking about the oh, hit talking about between him and MC Hammer. Oh, ham hammer. So yeah, so um Look, so you know, third base comes out, and and uh, you know, cactus comes out, and you know, for us and for me, like again, I I don't know if you can see it, but there's Jam Master Jay's chain that he was buried in, and above that chain is the is the pamphlet from Jay's funeral that my oh, partner wow. framed for me, like oh, that's wow. that's my heart, right? Yeah. And, I, and every time I come in my office, that's what I look at that every day. Yeah. So you got this dude, MC Hammer, who has a big record, you know, and yep. he's dissing Run DMC in his video. Just can't do it. Like, not around my way. Like, you can do it in Oakland. I'm sure you can do yeah. it someplace else. You can't do it and yeah. you can't do it. No. So for me, you know, and let's be clear, like, I was told early on that I was a visitor in hip hop, and I was okay with that. Like, I, I knew that mm. this was a black art form, and that for mm. me to be involved in it, I had to pay a certain amount of respect and homage. Mm. And, okay. it, it, and it showed in my lyrics, and it showed in how I carried myself, and it showed in mm -hmm. how I, you know, really did my music and made my music. Yeah. My partner had a much more um, surgical approach to emceeing. And his thing was more mm -hmm. about lyrics. Lyrics, mm -hmm. lyrics, lyrics. It's always about that. So when Hammer's record went pop and became this monster record, um, his album was called Turn This Mother Out, right? Yes. Um, and it became a you know huge hit, you know, all of this. Yes. And, you know, he's dissing Run DMC, which we were like, how you can't. So on our title song, The Cactus. My partner says, uh, a prickly prayer, a prickly pear and a stank hoe or something like that. The cactus turned Hammer's mother out, right? Which meant our album was better than his album, right? Yes. Because that yes. it's New York lyricism. Yes. In the Bay, they took it literal, yes. which was the cactus, which was also another name for a penis. Mm -hmm. It was a disrespect yeah. to Hammer's mom. Right. I, and I and I and I didn't take it that way. And and let's be real clear. If I thought that my ex-partner was saying anything disrespectful to somebody's mom, I would never let that on the album in the first place. Right. Right. But it's a lyric, it's a lyrical gem. Like he dropped a gem. Right, right, like right. I was like, this wordplay is crazy. Right. This is a dude that was saying like hard as hard as Chinese arithmetic, avant-garde, not a heretic. I'm like, yo, this dude dropped gems. Anyway. So Hammer took it how he took it. And we're about to go to LA for our album release party. And uh, Hammer found out. And mm. to settle the score of what we did, instead of manning up and talking to us directly, he put a hit out on us with the Rolling 60 Crips. Right? Really? So we're coming out to LA for our album release party. And we're giving away a Jeep on K-Day. And we have all this cool stuff going on. And, you know, I'm so excited. I got my, my wife, Chantel, well, my girl at the time, Chantel. And mm -hmm. my partner got his girl. And our DJ got his girl. And, 
you know, everything's exciting. And, you know, I've never been to LA before and you know, super excited. And um, we're on the plane and for whatever reason, somebody calls Def Jam. For years, I thought it was his brother, Hammer's brother, but somebody called Def Jam and said, is, uh, is third base still coming to LA? And they called uh, this woman, Carmen Ashurst Watson, who was the president. And they said, yeah. And the guy said, good, they're dead. And hung up the phone. Whoa. So, you know, they called around and they found out that it was accurate, that there was, you know, a hit. So they were like, well, we got to find somebody who can figure this out. And they sent somebody from management to trail, you know, or do whatever. And they got in touch with my conception, right? So my conception, you know, was... Uh, easily a gang mediator to say the least mm. he was paralyzed mm. from the waist down mm. um and he confirmed that the hit went through him that he mm. was the the guy who was called and contacted and he said but because you called me def jam i'll make sure they don't get killed we'll just paralyze them from the waist down so that they can still do television nice <laughs> thoughtful um, but but you know the response was well we can't let any of that happen. Right. So how do we how do we avoid all of this? So Mike said, look, I want two things. Thing one is tonight's the American Music Awards. I want to sit next to Michael Jackson because okay. he had the biggest album in the world. Bad. And, right. and the second thing is, I got this record I'm doing called. <laughs> I laugh every time. We're all in the same gang, which is about anti-gang violence. I need a label <laughs> to put it out. So Russell calls Donnie Einer and says, Donnie, I need your tickets for the American Music Awards. Right. So if you watch the 1989 American Music Awards, when Michael's getting 800 awards, there's a guy in a wheelchair sitting next to Michael Jackson. <laughs> or 1990. I think it was 1990. Excuse me, 1990. That's it. Right. And then Russell helps finesse close a deal, the capital for the we're all in the same game. So meanwhile, we're in the air, <laughs> like, we're like this. So now they've got to coordinate security. They got to coordinate where we're going to stay hotel wise. They got to, you know, cause we got five days of events. Right. Meanwhile, you got 60,000 gang members of the rolling 60 Crips looking to kill us for a $50,000 bounty, right? Which is a lot of money. Yeah. Shit. Yeah, especially I would, back, I, back then, yeah. I'd kill me for $50,000, you know, tell me how to fake the death. <laughs> So we land, so we land, and this was also back in the day when there was no gate security. Right. You could walk to the gate with a cigarette in your hand. Like this was, you know, 1990. <laughs> right. There's right. no metal detectors. None of that. And we're getting None of that. planes coming down. And uh, I'll never forget, they would get off the plane and they're shuttling us and they're cloaking us and move, move, everybody out of the way, move, move. And I look over and everybody's huddled. And I say, oh my God, we're bigger than the Beatles. Oh, like, this is, I don't know what the fuck's going on. I just think they're protecting us from the screaming crowd. Like I'm fucking right. Minuto, I'm Minuto, right? Like, right, Minuto. I'm Blanquito, right? Like I'm the fucking <laughs> biggest thing in the world. Put us in a van, heads down, heads down. I'm like, oh my God, we are so big. They can't even see us in vans. Like I'm thinking like, Beetle mania is like third base mania, right? They put us in the uh, Hollywood Hyatt, 
They lock mm -hmm. off an entire floor. There's security at the the uh, windows and uh, security at the elevators. And this guy comes in, Mel Swint, may may rest in peace. And he tells me the deal. He's like, yo, guys want to kill you. We don't know why. Guys want to kill you. And I'm like, this is some bullshit. Come on, man. Fuck this dumb shit. I'm, I'm from Far Rockaway. You ain't telling me shit about no gang shit, right? Like, I'm like... Right. I walked fucking 125th Street like in 1986. Like you're not telling which me that. Which is unheard of. Back I'm in not the afraid days, of yeah. shit. I'm not. I was in. I, I was on fucking Gates and 160 in the Bronx at Park Shams. You what the fuck? A ball bust. I'm more scared of a ball buster by himself with a shank than whatever the fuck you're talking about, right? Because right. I have no knowledge of any of it. Finally, this dude comes up. His name is Pookie. He was my conception's lieutenant had bumps, little bumps all on his arms that looked like keloids. He's like, nah, homie, they ain't keloids, they're bullets, they're too fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said, look, I said, I don't know about all this bullshit. I want to take my wife to the Beverly Center. I want to go get her a bag. And Mel, and Mel Swin is like, look, look. And he's like, nah, 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 homie. Search, want to go to the mall? Let's go to the mall. Said, cool, let's go to the mall. Put me in the van with my girl and Pookie, Mel. Go to Beverly Center. And you remember the Beverly Center had the seven elevator. We go around yes. and yes. a bunch of cholos and, and guys and girls are all in the eating area. Back then there, there was like a little uh, sushi restaurant in the center court. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, you know, some people that recognize you. Why don't you go down there and sign some autographs? I was like, all right, cool. Go down the escalator, there's some girls waving. I'm like, ah, <laughs> right? All happy, dappy, high top fade, third base cut, flies hell. Signing some autographs, girls are surrounding me, flying and looking, look up, this dude's coming this way, look up, another dude behind me, look up, dude pulls up the rag, sign up, guy pulls the ratchet out. He's about seven feet from me, pookie whistles. <laughs> I mean, loudest whistle I ever heard. They look up, throws the signs. Dude comes to me face to face, pulls down the rag. He's like, yo, homie, I'm a big fan, homie, but I was finna smoke you right there. Fucking Pookie didn't say what. Dude behind me. Hey, homie, can I get an autograph? And I, yo, man, you know, da 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 da. We didn't know the shit was off. I'm finna get me the fuck out of here. Oh my get God. Get me the fuck out of here. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. Wow. So. Well, I got I got to switch it because you now now my move. T t tell me your rappers delight story. See, you got some great stories. The first time your experience <laughs> with that. Tell me that. So, I mean, the first time I heard rappers delight, um, it was '79. Mm -hmm. Um, senior. I was a no. I was a seventh grade, mm -hmm. uh, middle school, seventh grade. And um, I was getting ready for my bar mitzvah. Right? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And um, so I'm getting ready for my bar mitzvah. Me and my man, Gregory, um, my man, Tom Thomas. And these all do, this was like before they became Lord Chabon, mathematics, and you know, just Thomas, Gregory, you know, their governments, right. as we used to say around right. the way. Right. And they were telling me like, yo, there's this, you know, there's this, this record my brother got, yo, there's this record my brother got, he got it from Rock and Soul. Let's go check it out, right? We're gonna go check it out. So we went to my man Gregory's house and he had a turntable. And uh, 
in my friend Gregory's house at Red Firm Projects, and that's the first time I heard Rapper's Delight. Wow. And um, I um, rushed to Mott Avenue because uh, there was a music store called Frank's Music Room. And I went right. there and I said, yo, you got Rapper's Delight? He's like, nope, sold out. Sold out. <laughs> and then I went to my friend Stephen Henderson's house, who lived like right up the block, and his brother had it because his brother was old enough that he was going to Studio 54 and he was going to the Fever and all that. So he put it on and I was like, yo, I was like, and I, I'm talking to my friend, Steven. And I was like, Steven, you gotta hear this record. I know, I know your brother got it, you gotta hear this record. Gregory just played for me, you gotta hear this, it's crazy. Yo, the rapping that we used to listen to, yo, these dudes are rapping on a, like a, on a record. Like they're rapping on a record. And uh, we see, started playing it in his house. And we started like coming up with dance routines and like, you know, trying to remember all the words. Like, you know, I don't think, I, I think a hip hop, a hibbit, a hibbit to the hip, hip hop, and you don't stop a rocking to the bang, bang boogie said up, jump the boogie to the rim of the boogie. I think I just learned that this year. I think I oh just was really? able to actually, no, of course not. But it took I me forever. <laughs> it took me forever to, to memorize Be able that. To say it? Yo, dude, I did not have, the, I still, I mean, I still get tongue tied. Like when I hear it, I still like that muscle memory for being 12 years old. I yeah. still get tongue tied when I hear that. Um, and uh, like, it, it, but here's the real deal. Like I didn't realize what you were talking about when you were talking about buy some smack and drive off with a deaf OJ. Like get I didn't some, really, yeah, 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 like yo, yo. So I didn't realize y'all were like really fucking with that heron like that. I was like, oh, these boys are no, serious. No, we were not. No, 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 no. <laughs> see, so, these boys see. are level up right now. They're about to level up. Like yeah, yo, they no. got that smack. They taking it to the hotel. Shit is getting <laughs> right in the hotel. That's seven dollars short stay. Oh my <laughs> god, on the concourse. Ooh. Come $187. On he just took that $7 short stay. Yeah, yeah. Hey. yeah. No. Shout out Yo, to you know short what, stay. You, you're a crazy one, too, and I love it. It's wonderful. But, you know, the thing that I wanted to ask you, and it's funny that we even got into that, is that, you know, like you said, during that time, man, and you, you know, I, I my, my grandmother uh, raised me a, a, most of my life at Bed-Stuy. So I grew up in a very you know, visual situation of the Orthodox Jewish situation. I saw, you know, the Shabbos on Friday and, you know, everybody, you know, the whole nine yards. So I'm very familiar. And then in New Jersey, the uh, Bergen County area is is hugely, you know, populated. I went to school with cats and all nine yards. So I know what the vibe is. It's a very connected, it's a very, you know, you do what's done, you you go with the flow, you know. Uh, uh, um, how were you perceived, man, initially? Because you know, like that community, man, is like everything on outside of that community is like totally not the deal. So for you to go from not just, you know, coming out of the community, but you going into this whole new people of color situation, how, how were you perceived before you blew up? You know what I mean? Yeah. I, well, first things first, I, you know, my parents lived in a very orthodox community. Right. Um, but we were not treated as Jews in our own community because we were not Orthodox. So okay. one of the things that you're not allowed to do that, and I learned this later in life. So let's say an Orthodox Jew, because you know, in sundown, you can't use electricity, right. you can't right. turn on a stove, you can't, nothing, right? Everything's clean. Right. So what you can't do is ask another Jew to turn off the oven or turn off the light. 
but people would come to my parents' house on the block while we're having Shabbos dinner, knock on the door and say, can you let Michael come over and turn off the stove? In Yiddish, in Jewish, it's called the Lashon Hara. It's literally a disrespect to another Jew, right? It's literally so like, and I didn't, I didn't realize this. I was just, my mom said, go do it. So they didn't really see us as Jews. And as I kind of matured, I realized that like, even though I was connected, I wasn't connected, that these mm. men and women didn't see me as an equal. Mm. I was less than. So to have friends like, you know, Diego Roca and, and Gregory and all these people, like we were all marginalized anyway. I felt more mm -hmm. connected to people who were marginalized than in my own community. Mm -hmm. The other thing that, you know, again, you know, to be totally transparent is when I was hanging out with my friends, I was, I was a wigger. Like gotcha. that's what I was called. I was a wigger, right. you know, and it is what it is. Like I mm -hmm. didn't, you know, I never had a white girlfriend. Like I tell people, my, my joke is the only white lips I ever kissed was my sister and my mom. Like I never, <laughs> I never dated white girls. Like I was, they, they were not trying to, they were not trying to fuck with me. Because right. I was a wigger. Why yeah. would you want to be, you know, the, the straw that broke the camel's back for me was the reason I went to music and art and not only to get out of Far Rockaway was I couldn't afford yeshiva. And my whole thing was I wanted to be a cantor or a rabbi. Like I wanted to lead a congregation, mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to do it my way. Um, mm -hmm. And my rabbi saw me playing ball one day after, after temple on a Saturday. And after my bar mitzvah, um, he called me into his office and he said, Michael, you know, with this really disappointed look on his face, Michael, I had such high hopes for you. Why do you want to be a Schwarzer? <laughs> and I was like, and I was, I was, I was blown away that a rabbi would use a derogatory term. Right, right. I mean, he might as well just use the N-word. Right. And I went ham. 14 years old, you racist motherfucker. You're gonna call me a shvata? Don't you know we're here to fucking teach and lead? That's our role as Jews. We're supposed to shed light, you piece of right. fucking trash. Fuck you, fuck Judaism, fuck this. The fucking God's got it right. You're the 10 percenters. You're hiding the truth from the 85ers. You're a fucking devil, you fucking devil. And he, I, was, I was expelled from synagogue. I was expelled from Hebrew school. I never went back. And um, you know, I never went back. And I started studying my lessons with my friends. And I started practicing. Mm -hmm. um, I was a practicing Muslim, making Ramadan and making Salat. And, uh, you know, when I met Zev Lavex and, and Subrak, um, both of them made their rest in peace. Like, you know, we were very much on the same wavelength because, you know. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's crazy, man, because I, I, I got a best friend. His name is Arthur from Florida, right? And I practically oh, like yeah. uh, been knowing him for over 20 years. And uh, me and him were the same way. I mean, we would go out, hang out all the time. And I slept in, his, you know, in their parents' house, you know, in the, in the other bedroom, stuff like that. And uh, they they treated me like, I, you know, I was one of them. And But but the only issue was that uh, they wanted him to, to marry another Jewish girl. And, you know, he, he married a Mexican. You know, mm -hmm. and they, they had a little issue with it at first, but after, you know, after after he stood up for what he believed in and said, you know, I'm going to marry this girl, either you guys like it or not, you know, they, they accepted it. Yeah, my parents didn't really have an issue about who I married, who, who I didn't marry. 
as long as you know that wasn't the issue there was no issue right. about judaism or not you right. know my parent you know i i had a very liberal household my my mother had yeah. a very simple rule do whatever you want under the roof just don't get don't go out there and do it outside cuz i don't want you getting in trouble I was like, <laughs> anything? Yes. I was like, anything? We all heard that. He was like, anything. I'm like, anything? I'm like, yeah, you can do anything under this roof. Just, I'd be upstairs smoking woolers, smoking dust, having girls come over. Like, and, you know, it's just, you know, like, you know, but she didn't want us in the street. And when I was running the right. street those right. three years, right. she had one rule. She was like, look, if you're going to be out outside the house past four o'clock in the morning, right. call so, me, so let me know you're alive. That, uh, in in your own words, man, can you tell us uh, how do you feel the industry, uh, the hip hop industry, uh, has has changed from you know from when you first started up until now? In your own words, how do you feel? You feel like it's for the better, or you feel like it's still evolving, or do you feel like it? You know, yeah. in your own words, well, how, how do you? I mean, feel I definitely, it? I definitely think it's it's continuously evolving. I mean, we're in a, a space right now where you know, because of the foundation that was laid and because of the challenges, both positive and negative, uh, we now have the biggest genre in the world. And we've created an opportunity through technology and through the simplicity of what the music is that any artist can create an opportunity for their family out of poverty and never leave their block. Um, and I think that I think that's a beautiful thing and I think it's always evolving I think the music is evolving even if you listen to this guy Morgan Wallen this country guy his records are all I, I was telling my wife when I was watching him on SNL like regardless of the n-word and the stuff that he said and all the negative stuff I don't care about that no man when you listen to his biggest record about you know the wheels and the ties and the girls and you know he sounds like Eminem like his flow is it's obviously an inflection from G-Eazy or Yellow Wolf or any of the MCs that he must have been around because you can mm. hear it in his country inflections. Do you, do you yeah. think it's a good thing because of the uh, music has moved into, you know, the streaming platform now, you know, record labels play less of a part now in terms of putting music out. You know, how do, how do you feel about that? You think uh, the artists are getting paid like they're supposed to, or do you think it's a, it creates a better shot for new artists to, you know, to put their music out on, on, on Spotify and, YouTube and you know all the other streaming platforms that are out there. Yeah, I think there's always look. I think there's always room for improvement. I mean, the bottom line still is that even with these streaming opportunities, artists on major labels are still making twelve percent. The labels are making eighty-eight percent of what's going through the streaming platforms. If you're an indie artist and you have a hit record, then you should stay independent because if you sign to a major, no matter what they advance you you're going to lose 88% of what you make. So there's always room for improvement. There's always gonna be room for a deal to be better, artists to be better. You know, when I did Nas's deal, it was to protect him so that he didn't get fucked the way I got fucked. You know what I'm saying? I've never seen a royalty check from Def Jam. I've never seen a publishing statement from Def Jam. So when I made sure that Nas's deal was done, he had the same points that Billy Joel did on his first album oh. that, that Billy had on his 17th album. Like Nas wow. was a millionaire the first week Illmatic came out. He never wow. had an unrecouped balance. Yeah, you know I mean, like wow. I wanted to make sure he didn't get fucked. I didn't take, yeah. I don't own Nas's publishing. I don't own right. any of those records. Like, you know, I have my right. three points, 
I took Man. exactly what I thought was fair. I didn't fucking, mm -hmm. I didn't fucking Morris Levy him. I didn't fucking, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. Ahmed Erdogan him. I didn't, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't do him dirty. I wanted to protect him. You know, yeah, you great, did a great man. job. So I think, that there's, I think there's always room for improvement, but you have amazing platforms that, you know, give artists a, a great, The Orchard is, you know, my partners right now with The Orchard, with our podcast and what we do mm -hmm. in music. I mean, we own our masters. We own, they take a 20%, you know, fee for everything that they do. And they do a mm -hmm. lot for that 20%. So I think there's plenty of room um, for opportunity. Right. No, that's, that, that's awesome, man. That, I was going to ask you about Nas, the Nas thing, man. I was, I was working to get uh, up to that. You know, uh, what was your experience with the young Nas? That's who I wanted. You know, he was, I mean, look, he was, you know, I, I you could tell, like, you know, he, yeah. when he walked into my studio session, he was concerned about the deal he was offered. And that's why he stayed. He's like, look, my lawyer's pushing me to sign this deal, but I don't think it's a good deal. And mm -hmm. I said, in all fairness, I said, I can't look at your deal because it's illegal. It's called tortious interference. Like, if I look at your deal and you're not signing me, like, I could be hurting you, not helping you. Like, and you could hurt me, like, or your manager, they could hurt me. And I said, look, I'll, I'll give you a simple one page agreement. Sign to my production company. I'll take three points, just an executive producer thing. Point bump it gold, point bump it platinum. That's industry standard, but I'll make sure you get more points than any artist signed to whatever label we go to. I'll administer your publishing. I won't own it. I'll make sure you get exactly what you want. Um, and then we'll do one other record together. And that's it. Two records and we're done. And he said, let me think about it. And I never thought he would come back the next day. And uh, I sent him an email and I sent it to him. Uh, faxed it over to his lawyer. And he came back, him and Jungle came back the next day. And they put the piece of paper down and they put four blunts on the table. And we just started smoking and talking. And Jungle was telling me how he wanted to get his mom out. The projects, they were talking about how they lost their best friend, Ill Will three months before I got shot and killed in, on the 40 side of Vernon. You know, they, he just wanted to do what was right for his family. Right. And look, I said, you know, I'll do, I'll do exactly what needs to be done. You're the greatest artist I've ever heard because main source, live at the barbecue, streets disciple, my raps a trifle. I mean, verse is still one of my favorite verses. I said, so I was like, he's like, you want me to drop a verse on Back to the Grill again? I was like, yeah, of course. So he went in, Vanessa, keep a tech non in Madressa, lyrical professor, keep you under pressure, mind like a computer, the inserter, paragraph, the nightclub flirter. This is Nas kid, you know how it runs. I'm waving automatic guns and nuns. I was like, good night. So yeah. the next day, the so the next day, so he signed right then and there. Next day, I sent the letter to his lawyer. I said, look, I'm going to social, I'm going to take his deal out. I went back mm -hmm. to the label. Because, and, and the thing that was unfortunate, right, was that the two guys that brought Nas to my session were, mm -hmm. were dear friends. They're both dear friends. And I know they weren't trying to do anything harmful. They were just you, doing he, what their boss. What, your friends or his friends? My friends. Oh, your friends. Okay. The two, two A&R guys who brought Nas. Because when they came to the session, it was Nas, it was Percy P, Akinelli, the Riddler. They brought all these dudes and Nas. Right. And um, Ak wanted to jump on the record, but he was signing to Warner Brothers and like he wanted me to manage him. And, you know, and it was all these Queens associations. 
Um, but I went back to the label that my two friends were the A&R guys for, and I said, look, guys, here's a document he signed to me. And he, the reason he signed to me is he don't feel good about this deal. Make the deal right. Mm -hmm. You're offering him a deal that like I signed in 1988. It's 1993. Mm -hmm. This is the greatest mm -hmm. fucking rapper of all time. Like, don't fuck him the way mm -hmm. I got fucked. Because mm -hmm. the deal was a fucked up deal. And be clear, I want to be really clear. My friends did not offer him this deal. Craig Kalman, mm -hmm. who's now the chairman at Atlanta, Craig Kalman at Big Beat offered him this deal. And the deal was a fucked up deal. Is fucking the minimum points. He was taking his publishing. He wasn't giving him an advance on his publishing. It was a minor advance. I'm like, yo, this is a bullshit deal. Just make the mm -hmm. deal better. I don't want to take yeah. him anywhere. I'll sit here. Please, please just make the deal right. Mm -hmm. I said, well, what do you want? I said, yo, give him the right money. Give him the right money. Give him a, a decent advance. Take the publishing off the table unless you're going to offer him a deal. You can make him a publishing deal. It's different, but you're not offering him anything. Right. right. Just make it right. Mm -hmm. I stayed there five hours. I stayed there five hours. And they finally came back. They said, Craig Kalman said, take it or leave it. I was like, bye. Bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> I, went, I went from, you know, 57th and Broadway. I boogied down to Russell's apartment. Mm -hmm. uh, on 4th Street. I went upstairs. I played him the two songs I had. I said, this is this kid, Nasty Nas. And uh, Russell listened to it and he said, eh, it sounds like G-Rap and G-Rap don't sell no records. Not interested. Bye! <laughs> Bye. I didn't even, was no conversation. I was like, all right, Russell, peace. Bye! Went up to see Faith Newman at Columbia. And I didn't even, I said, Faith, I got, I signed Nas. And she was like, and she walked out the room. She brought David Kahn, who was the head A&R, and she brought Donnie and said, what do we got to do? Mm, wow. And that was it. That's wow. how I got them. Yeah. So I got, yeah. I, got him a, I got him a great deal. Got him a great yeah. deal. And then I went to Zamba. And I went to Zamba and I said, look, I got this kid Nas. And the head of Zamba, a guy named Richard Blackstone, knew exactly who he was. He said, how many songs are you doing? He's probably not doing more than 10. He said, is he writing everything? Yes. What are, you, what are you offering? I said, I'm offering him an admin deal, 5%. He keeps everything mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. He says, okay, how much you want? I said, 250 grand. No problem. Mm -hmm. uh, I think his assistant's name was Sheila Tom. Sheila, bring a check for Nasir Jones for $250,000. Mm. And I uh, went back to Nas's house with two checks. Mm. In, on wow. the 41st side in his name, one for 50000 which was partial advance from Columbia mm -hmm. and one mm -hmm. for 250,000. And the next day he moved his mom out the project. That's what's happening. That's Brother, a beautiful Brother, story. Do you feel the glow? Do you feel, do you, every, do you feel? I feel, I feel, I feel, the, yo dude, I sleep well every night. Yeah, you should, man. I sleep well every night. I'll tell you, but done. here's a story I haven't told a lot of people. I'm gonna tell you, this is for y'all because how much I, I revere y'all. Yes. So and Nas comes out. April 23rd, you know, 1994, Al album comes out, 165,000 records first week. He's, he basically is a millionaire first week. Okay. So he starts working on the second album. I'm pretty much hands off. The only thing I'm doing is making sure if there's any samples, the samples are cleared, all of that. We had an agreement that he was gonna give me a $100,000 advance from my executive producer, separate. Gotcha, gotcha. But now I gotta figure out 
how he wants the second half of his deal to become true, which he wants his own record label, mm-hmm. which is unheard of. Like, how do you get, mm. he goes, goes from Illmatic, he wants to go to second, and he wants Ill Will Records. He wants his own label. Mm. So I'm like, fuck, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? I got it. Called the head of legal. I said, John, his name is John Ingracia. John, we got a problem. If I spend one more fucking moment with this kid Nas, I'm gonna fucking kill him. You gotta get me out this deal. You gotta get me, I'm gonna fucking murder this kid. Why, what's going, I don't, it doesn't matter. Gotta get me a fuck away from this kid. It's fucking terrible. He wants his own label. He's fucking going ham. He's gonna bring 50 kids from Queensbridge up to the fucking building. It's gonna be fucking murder. It's gonna be a fucking bloodbath. All right, search, calm down, calm down. We'll give him his label. We'll give him his label. He's got no, we'll give him his label. What else do you need? He needs like half a million dollars. It's fucking crazy. I'm going, okay, okay, search, calm down. Calm down, we'll get you out of the deal. It's okay, just calm down. Whew. Okay, okay, thank you, John, thank you, thank you. Click, Nas, we good, we good, it's all awesome. Oh my God. Right, hang on. Wow. They negotiate the whole deal. I'm gonna get 100,000, Nas is gonna get ill will. The whole thing, he's got like 27 points. It's something, something fucking crazy, right? All right. Good. The day we're supposed to go sign, the day we're supposed to security, the security guards were being tapped, the whole thing. Nas calls me. Says, Search, you know, I appreciate everything you did for me, but I think a hundred thousand is too much. I wanna I wanna only give you seventy. And I said, Can you explain to me why you feel like I deserve thirty thousand less? He goes, Look, you you looked out for me. You did. Um, and you did the right thing. But let's be honest, to do this deal and to make it happen, the legal was more than I thought it was gonna be. And I don't think I should have to pay the extra 30 for the legal, you know? I said, you know what, Nas? I got you. I'm not gonna, not a problem. Give me the 70, we're good. I love you, we're good. Do your thing. He said, man, I know no one will do for me what you've done for me. I said, you're motherfucking right. I said, now let's go sign that contract. Let's go get this money. Right. We walked into that building arm in arm, cigars in our mouths. We went up to the 10th, the 26th floor, Tommy Matola, security, guns, and we're laughing the whole time. And Donnie, Tommy Matola, John and Grassi is like, boys, I think we just got got, right? They're all laughing, ha ha ha, we signed a contract, everything's good. First single comes out if I ruled the world, Lauren Hill. Mm. And I get a call from Jerry Blair, who's the the head of radio promotion. He goes, are you still involved with Nas? I said, yeah. He goes, you're about to be a millionaire. Mm. It's most added. Everything right. happened. Yeah. Yeah. Difference is he didn't know what my deal was. And and, and, let's, and again, I've, I've done very well. I will have yeah. money coming in for my children, my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. But I didn't make millions off Nas. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm okay mm-hmm. with that. Like, yeah. I sleep well every night knowing that I got my fair share. Without a doubt, brother. I didn't become whatever, I'm not whomever. I'm just a small, this small of this. And I'm okay with that. I sleep well every night because of that. I got one question for you, bro. No. Anyway, Master G, how can I help you? Yes. (laughs) Anyway, I'm sorry, Diamond, go ahead. (laughs) Yes, sir. The only question I got, could you negotiate our next contract? Absolutely. Yes, Raj, yes, you're yes. fucking finished. Raj and Vic, you're fucking finished. Don't do that, man. Don't do it. Listen to me, guys. Yeah, right? Just, 
just next negotiation, pretend you hate yourselves. Everybody yes. hates each other. I'll smooth it out. I'm going to remember the, that. Trust the white man. I'll smooth it out. <laughs> Sir, this is amazing. I'm going to flip the script, though. Do, do you have any questions? Do yeah, you I mean, have yo, questions? I mean, I do, but I feel like part of it I want to save for my Search Says podcast when I have you guys on my show. But I, oh, I, I, do, I, I do want to ask you this, and I, I do, okay. do want to ask you about this. Okay. Uh, recently, this uh, um, Fox uh, FX uh, thing came out talking about mm -hmm. like the gangsters, Deb Antley and you mm -hmm. know, um, Big U and all that. And they talked about Sugar Hill and they talked about Sylvia Robinson and her mm -hmm. husband, who is a very mm -hmm. well-known- Joe, Joe Robinson. Was there any time that you guys felt threatened? Did you feel like there was any time when Joe was running Sugar Hill that you were in fear for your life if you asked for something that you felt was unfair? Was there ever a moment where you felt like, you know, you were gonna deal with a repercussion or your family would deal? with a repercussion because of Joe, if you asked for a royalty statement or if you asked for, you know, uh, a, uh, you know. No. And you know what, the thing about it is that ignorance is bliss at certain times. You, you follow me at that point, you know what I'm saying? Um, it, it wasn't till, well, well, let me, it's a two-party, the answer's a two-party. So you have to understand it was a very magical, creative time during that time. So, you know, all of the nuts and bolts, all of the the the, the real meat on of the all, 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 you know on the bone was being dealt with under the under the water. You follow me? So there was it was kind of like your situation in Def Jam. You know, there was a lot going on, but it wasn't going on with us. You see what I'm saying? And because it was so magical. I mean, like the per the place just permeated so many crazy things. It was the you know everything was hitting. It was hit records coming out. You know all this stuff. So it's very easy for them to keep us, you know, floating. So we would come in and you know we'd say stuff like you know um, you know you see world statement. Okay, we'll go up to see there's this guy named Milton Malden, and he'd say, well you know you guys are in the red right now, but don't worry about it. You know everything's okay. You know we're gonna. You know, you got another album coming out, and it was all glossed over. Now, there were many times when there would be Cadillacs that would pull up, and there would be, you know, uh, uh, black suits that would come in, and they'd never have to stop at the front. They would walk into the back and go straight into Joe's office and close the door. And because of my experience of growing up and in northern New Jersey and New York metropolitan area, I was very familiar with who was what and what was what. So I knew that it was there. And then I, I also had a very personal relationship with Morris Levy. My father flew planes for Morris Levy. So I spent time at his farm upstate and the whole nine yards. So I was around it a lot. So it wasn't, it, to, to me, it was natural that they were there, you know? And, 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 and so, and I wasn't delving into the nuts and bolts of it at that time. Now, I roll the script up. This is the second part of it. Now I, I realize what's happening. That was my decision to get away from it. I left, became successful, yada, yada. And then I start coming back. Now, when I first came back to Mike and Hen and Diamond, that was the kind of thing that they were kind of uh, alluding to because now we, you know, we got, we got, we got lawyers now. We got lawyers and I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm established and this, that, and that. And 
to me, you know, uh, I'm no stranger to danger. So I didn't give a damn. You know what I mean? It didn't matter to me. So because whatever game they wanted to play it on, I was willing to play it on whatever game. You know, now I, I thought the best way to do it because we were dealing with the you know kind of individual was to lawyer up and lawyer lawyer. But for me, it was whatever. You know, so I hope that answers your question. You know, it does. I, 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 it, no, it does. Yeah. And then, and then the second thing I, I wanted to ask you, and and again, you know, for a lot of maybe people that don't know this, but you know, uh, the American Congress just passed the 35 year mm -hmm. law, which basically mm -hmm. establishes the right for artists mm -hmm. with records that are 35 years or older mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. go back and get their masters in their publishing. Mm -hmm. Has mm -hmm. that been your approach, and and how are you guys handling yes. getting your masters back? Well, we're we're now we do business with Warner Brothers, so we got an ad deal with Warner Brothers, and uh, uh, we also work with Leland Robinson, who is uh, you know uh, co-divided into that whole publishing situation. So mm -hmm. yes, that's what I'm trying to say. Once I was I understood the nature of business. Initially, going back into it, the reason why I came back into it, and this is what I talk about a lot, is that you know. Uh, my stepping away from it gave me uh, an opportunity to live life from a different level on a different level. Okay. And I always say that one of the reasons why I decided to come back is because Mike actually got the slings and arrows of the day-to-day -day situation. And so did this brother right here and diamond to a certain degree also right. too. So they were in the midst of it during that period. So my goal coming back was I knew walking into it, that we were going to have to deal with the field, you know what I mean? And right. we, and we, and, 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 you know, through a couple of different situations, you know, because we just refused to relent no matter right. what they tried to do, right. no matter what was done, you know, take the use of the name, uh, you know, cease and desist, no matter what was tried to do, do to us, we continued to fight. Now situation went one way or the other. And then we called the truce because we are actually now better together. Right. Then we are apart. We're doing right. much better now over the last six, seven years than we've ever done collectively at Sugar Hill Records and Sugar Hill uh, Gang. You know what I mean? But that's as a result of not relenting and letting right. people know that I don't know what happened before I got back, but the kid's back in town and I'm not letting this go down. You know what I mean? Right. And that's basically how right. we ended up where we are now today. Right. So, so I'll, I'll also, Mike and myself, uh, we were, we were down in Congress when they decided when we when they passed it. Uh, mm -hmm. It was just on the books for so long. They just you know got around to it recently, and mm -hmm. also uh, basically they're going to also pass the right to that. Uh, you know they're going to start paying everywhere else in the world. They pay you performance royalties except for here in the U.S. They they agreed to do that too. It just hadn't came up for them to vote on it yet. You know yeah. because they got you know, so much shit on that plate. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. But yes, sir. I will, I want to say this though, before we go, I'm, I'm putting my finger up, I'm sorry. I want to say that it's very interesting and something that I'm, that so many epiphanies that I'm experiencing now in this part of my, 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 my chapter, I didn't realize how many people later on, like when you said, you know, you went to Def Jam and you got the jam, you know, them situations. And I heard other people who I had been paying attention to, who I thought, weren't didn't suffer the slings and arrows of what we suffered i didn't think that was the case i thought that moving forward once it became more of a uh information distributed situation that people were uh, a benefit which uh, people did you know which there are people that did but there are also individuals that 
feel and know my pain too. And, you know, it's also, it's amazing that like you emerge victorious and you know, like ourselves emerge victorious. So it's pretty. Yeah. The, pretty, the difference uh, is to be totally honest with you. I didn't mean to interrupt, but to, the, to no, be, no, you go. To be totally transparent. We're not, I'm not victorious. I, I, and let's be clear. I owe everything to Def Jam. I would not be yeah. who I am today. I would not be talking to you guys if it wasn't for Def Jam. So if I didn't make that fucked up deal, I would not have been able to put out a second album, to do a solo album, to meet Nas, to build Echo Unlimited Clothing, to do all of the there things that I did in my career. So if that was my ticket, that's fine. I'll pay that ticket. I'm fine with that. But be there clear, like that, that chapter has never been corrected. Yeah. It is what it is. And I mm-hmm. and I've and I've left it behind for a lot of reasons, but mm-hmm. you know, as Dave Chappelle said, like I'm coming to yes. get mine. Like I I'm, trust you. me, I'm coming to get mine, and I, um, I will share this with you. And I hope it's not your experience because it's mine. When I spoke to Def Jam and I said, "Yo, I want to buy my masters," they said, "We don't know where they are." No kidding. What? They can't find them. So. Wow. It's a class action suit. So I'm just, again, I'm, I'm laying low because for me, what my wife and I are building with our, our podcast company mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. with the other things that, you know, we have going on, mm-hmm. I don't have time. You know, that, that, like you said, I have a mm-hmm. great lawyer and Steven Sidman, shout out to Steven, mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. team, like they'll go fight that battle. And I know I'll right. get the, the legal, you know, monthly slips and my wife will be like, oh my God, why are we paying this much legal? Right. Like, can right. we just stop? And I'm like, no, we can't stop, won't stop. Like, it's just, right. we gotta make that. But I can't dwell on the past when I got so many feet in the future, right? I'm, I'm with my, you, I'm with and you. My, and my play today is really about, you know, my podcast company, you know, we're getting mm-hmm. ready to release this amazing season called Did I Ever Tell You the One About Podcast? Did I Ever Tell You the One About Big Daddy Kane? It's a nine mm-hmm. episode, it's amazing. So hopefully mm-hmm. we'll have him on your show soon talk about mm-hmm. his his podcast we're setting up four other podcasts that we're developing mm-hmm. um amazing just storytelling of our culture because for yeah. me you know to tell the stories i want to tell them in a way besides video but i want to tell them in a way that honors not only just the stories but how they're told so i'm doing everything in what's called the immersive sound design we partnered with a major uh, school here in orlando full sale we're utilizing a 96 track ILM board. We're mixing everything in 5.1 surround sound at Sugar Studios in LA. Like the story, when, when, when Kane is talking to you about going to school in Lafayette Gardens, you hear the, the wind rustling because we literally took sound design people to Franklin Boulevard and got the environmental sound from that block. Wow. So, you know, so, so to me, that, that to me is paying homage. And, and the other thing, guys, and the thing that I learned, again, in talking about fairness, I don't own Kane's stories. He does. I just license them. So right. every story he told me, I just made it more beautiful. We have a right. deal for 10 or 15 years. He can have it back whenever he wants to. But right. I don't own shit. Right. You know? No, no, um, I get it. No, no. No, no, no. Yeah. no. My, my, my point is that I just, I just, you know, we're kindred spirits. That's what, that's my thing. Oh, I and, get it. No, brother, know. I get it. I get it. I just, yeah. I'm, I'm just very thankful that Me too. you are able to walk these dogs the way you are. Um, yes. And again, for me, I don't, I don't really mind where I'm at today. Like I don't, mm-hmm. you know, 
like, you know, when I see the plaques on the wall, they're great memories of what mm -hmm. I was able to accomplish. Um, mm -hmm. And what we also saved Def Jam from its own personal demise. But mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I, again, whether I ever get a royalty check from Def Jam is inconsequential because hip hop gave me my life. Mm -hmm. You know, if I didn't yes. have this, it'd be like, oh, Diamond and Mrs. Diamond, welcome to Nordstrom. Do you need a seven right. and a half or an eight in black or right. brown? You know, that right. would be my life. I would right. be selling shoes or wrapping mm -hmm. gifts at Sears. That might have right. been the rapper I truly right. might have been. Right. right. So I owe him. No, I, so I, right. No, I agree. And I tell people that all the time, too, that, you know, uh, um, it, it, it's, it's definitely my introduction to the world. You know, mm -hmm. that was the, the, the springboard. Those things that I acquired in that beginning time from 18 to 23 was the, 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 the platform that I've used to do everything that I do up to and including today, man. You know, and, and, and that, you know, is, is, is the quintessential positive uh, extraction of that situation. You know, I mean, now, mm -hmm. you know, like I said, with us, the cool thing is that, yes, you know, the people that I used to fight tooth and nail with now is they're my business partners, you know. So that's the, that's definitely the upside on that end. Uh, uh, but, you know, moving forward is really what it's all about. That's why we yeah. even in this space. So yeah. and and we could do this all day, man. All we day. could do this all, all day. day. Let me, all day. Let man. me just let me just get this because I got to do this, man. It's important, man. Serge, I, everybody that comes on this show, you know, I appreciate the love. I appreciate the energy, and I just want to let you know that as of right now, you are now officially part of the Sugar Hill Gang family, brother. You are now no Cuzzo. When you hear us yell out, what's up, Cuzzo? You come no back and say, what's up, Cuzzo? Because it's very important, man, that a cat like you is down with a cat like us. And we got to maintain, you know, this love, man. We got to keep this energy flowing. So welcome to the family, Cuzzo. Thank you. Really, thank man. You. Thanks for coming and, and on I, the show, I, man. I really appreciate that because I realized that you don't want me to battle you, so you made me a cousin. Right. I get, I get Absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> neutralize yeah. the situation. No, no, neutralize. neutralize. You're a very smart man, bro. You're a very, very smart man. Smart to make me the cuzzo. I, I get it. You don't want this smoke. I get it. You don't want none of that smoke. I get it. I get it. You took the words right out my mouth. I don't want the smoke. Sir, I don't need you making yeah. talks about my yeah, nose. No doubt. Or, no doubt. You know, you talk about my beard, and I don't want no trouble, man. You know what I mean? I yeah. All the <laughs> so yeah, Thank man. You. On that note, I'm gonna get up out of here, man. This is the Sugar Hill Game Podcast. Listen, folks, we love you for loving us, man. We appreciate everybody, and we really, 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 we dig doing what we're doing, and we're thankful and we're grateful. I am the Master G. I'm your host. Say good night, T Dynasty. Good night, T Dynasty. Say good night, hand dog. No doubt, no doubt. Big shout out to all the women of the world celebrating Women's Month. No doubt. Good night, everybody. Say good night, night world. Say good night, sir. Say good night, sir. Good night, search. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Jim Hill Bang Podcast. We love you for yeah. loving us. No Peace doubt. And no we doubt. are. Uh, Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Gang Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Android users, subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Sugar Hill Gang Podcast is produced by Raj Katecha and Vikash Mojaria on behalf of Creative Content Agency and Lothar Kamala on behalf of Daily Operation Agency. 
The show's artwork was created by Frank Art and Horizon Films, and the theme music was created by Heavy Bliss. You can contact the show on Instagram at The Real Sugar Hill Gang or email Sugar Hill Gang Podcast at dailyoperation-agency.com. We'd love to hear from you. Peace and love, and we'll catch you on the next episode.